You are listening to Tough Island, Maine on WERU Community Radio, 89.9 on your FM dial, serving mid-coast, down-east, and central Maine, and on the internet at WERU.org. Warning, these true stories may not be appropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. Some names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Chapter 5 My name is Crashberry, and for two years, when I was a much younger man, I lived on Matinicus, Maine's most remote inhabited island. A couple of years living in a fish shack didn't make me an expert on Matinicus, But it was a long enough immersion to recognize the distinctive nature of the island, filtered through a thick lens of drugs, (laughs) youth, and hard work. To listen to previous episodes of Tough Island, visit Crashberry.com. You can also listen via the WERU archives at WERU.org. On Sundays during the summer in Maine, commercial lobstering is not allowed. So it was usually a Sunday when Captain Donald and Mary Margaret and I would head to Rockland for supplies. Time to go to the big city! Once we were tied up at the Coast Guard station, I was granted a couple of hours of shore leave. We'll pick you up in front of the trade winds in two hours. Then we'll go to the supermarket, and you better not be late. Those couple hours were precious to me. After a quick stop at Dooryard Books to pick up novels by Kurt Vonnegut and Philip Roth and Carolyn Shute and Charles Bukowski, that'll be uh, $17. I'd walk over to the Brown Bag Cafe for a couple delicious sandwiches and their infamous potato salad. I'll have another order of potato salad, please. That was delicious. I'd meet up with Captain Donald and Mary Margaret. Good thing you weren't late. Yeah, well, what do you got there, huh? Books? <laughs> Books, yeah. Well, okay, Professor. What did you have for lunch? Uh, a couple of sandwiches from the brown bag. A couple sandwiches? Oh, my. Money burning a hole in your pocket, huh? Maybe we're paying you too much. Then we'd head over to the shop and save for grocery shopping, then back down to the Coast Guard station where the dotted eye was tied up. After one of these trips, before making the hour-and-a-half voyage back to Matinicus, Captain Donald decided to visit a Russian fish factory ship called the Riga at anchor in Rockland Harbor. Let's see what these communist fish buyers are up to in Rockland Harbor. (laughs) This was the summer of 1991, so the Soviet Union and communism were in the final stages of collapse. Though, Captain Donald never seemed aware of current events other than the impending weather. I didn't know much about the 500-foot-long vessel, Riga, R-I-G-A. I wonder what that means. Other than that, the Russians were in Rockland Harbor buying megatons of fish from the local fishermen. 
Occasionally, the ship would weigh anchor and head out to sea. Waters not far from Matinicus to pump their holding tanks empty of the feces and urine of a hundred Russian sailors. So we pulled alongside the Riga, and Donald shut down the engine. Dozens of sailors lolled about the decks, smoking about 15 feet above us. Hello! Hello there! Hello there! Hello there! Hello there! Hello there. Nice to meet you. Smokes? Cigarettes? One of the fellows asked. Uh, um, no, no, I don't smoke. Uh, I quit two years ago, unfortunately, Captain Donald said as I went into my backpack. But I sure do miss it. <laughs> I had two cartons of camel filters. That's 20 packs of cigarettes. I could buy more smokes on the island from the bootlegger who charged twice the price. So I had plenty of loot to trade with these Ruskies. Do you guys like camel cigarettes? Yes, we love camel cigarettes. I showed my cartons and began bargaining. What do you guys got to trade? Cowboy cigarettes. Shorts. Uniforms. Oh, yes, lots of stuff. Ten minutes later, I was the proud owner of three Russian merchant marine uniforms, a half dozen Russian news magazines, and three packs of filterless Russian smokes called Cowboy. Cowboy cigarettes. The cigarette packs were made of a yellow rice paper sporting the logo of a cowboy riding a bucking bronco. Hee-haw. In exchange, I gave the Russians all but two packs of my camel cigarettes. Thank you. We love camel cigarettes. Plus the Coast Guard ball cap. Nice hat. That I wore as a joke to mock my increasingly long hair. Nice baseball hat. They also received several periodicals, including issues of The New Yorker and the hilariously ironic Spy Magazine. Nice. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Later, back on the island, after unpacking in my room, uh, where the hell's my DD-214? I discovered some very important papers concerning my discharge from the U.S. Coast Guard were missing. Oh, f***. I had brought my DD Form 214, my actual proof of military service, to Rockland to make photocopies so I could apply for an able-bodied seaman's license because I was thinking about shipping out on a freighter or a tanker when I got sick of Captain Donald or lobstering. I had stashed the original DD-214 and the copies in the latest issue of the New Yorker. My proof of military service was now in the hands of Russian sailors. Thank you. Yikes. It was the end of September, and Benny... Oh, yeah, man. Paul... What's up? And I were standing in the middle of Ten Pound Island. I'm glad we came out here, Benny said. Oh, this is a cool island. Yeah, Paul said. Even though Ten Pound Island was a little more than a half mile off South Sandy Beach on Matinicus, and less than a mile from our shacks, none of us had been there before. It's like we have our own private island, Paul said. This is good weed, Benny said. <laughs> I was enamored with the island because of a particularly memorable foggy day earlier that summer. We were hauling traps between Matinicus and Creehaven, 
and the salt air smelled sweet and fruity. Now don't that smell good? Mm-mm. Because Ten Pound Island was basically treeless and overrun with wild strawberries. So on that day, Paul and Benny and I had borrowed a skiff without asking. And went for a joyride landing on Ten Pound. Let's go for a walk, I said. Oh, that sounds good to me, Benny said. Yeah, okay, Paul said. So we wandered the island, exploring the 20 acres while smoking a couple more joints. (laughs) Man, that is some tasty weed. Yeah, sure is. And then uh, we looked backwards to the north toward Matinicus. Dude, it's a skiff, Paul said. The, the tide is rising, and we didn't tie it off. Oh, f- We thought we were only going to be on 10 pounds for a couple of minutes. We got to get the skiff. Oh, f- And Paul took off, running back towards the beach, with Benny and I following right behind him. As we got closer to the shore, we saw our only ride home bobbing in the rising tide. Oh, f- Paul yelped and sprinted towards the water's edge and waded right in, not bothering to pull off his sneakers or his shirt. He kept going, walking, farther and farther until the frigid rising tide was almost to his chest. He pressed on until he had to start swimming. Keeping his head above water, he paddled toward the drifting boat. Oh man, Benny said. Man, if that skiff gets away, we're screwed. Being stranded on 10-pound island overnight would have meant we'd all be in big trouble. Our captains would have been super angry. Hey, Benny. Benny, time to go to hall. When they couldn't find their stern men in the morning. Hey, Crash, where are you? Crash! Crash! Plus, the fellow whose skiff we stole would have been livid when he discovered his boat missing from the steamboat wharf. And once the skippers realized we, and the skiff, were missing, they'd have to launch a search and rescue mission to find us on Ten Pound Island, where we'd be wicked embarrassed, cold, starving, and thirsty. Go Paul! Go Paul! Go Paul! Benny and I chanted, Go Paulie! Pumping our fist in the air, Go Paulie! Luckily, our hero caught the skiff and easily pulled himself aboard while we cheered. Yay! Hip hip hooray! A minute later, Paul had the outboard going and ran the skiff aground to pick us up. We raced home because he was soaking wet. Ugh! Oh, f- God! And freezing. Ugh! Crisis averted. Paulie had saved the day. On the island, my reckless behavior went unpunished. When each day's haul was done and the captains went home, We'll see you tomorrow, Crash. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. To either yell at their wives or fall asleep in front of the TV. When it was sort of a delicious feast, Mary Margaret has concocted for me this evening. (laughs) 
the harbor front came alive with the sound of rock and roll and the shore was owned by the stern men. Silly bets and dares were commonplace, usually involving feats of strength, Ten bucks says you can't lift that. or copious consumption of booze or drugs. Oh yeah, well I bet you 20 that you can't drink that whole bottle. 20 bucks says I can. When and if the occasional single, Hello. or not single, Hello. female appeared, Uh, hi there. The stern men puffed our chest and preened, Oh, hi there. Praying, wishing, Dreaming for a miracle. Oh, greetings. Hoping we'd get laid. Debbie, the island bootlegger, preferred to make only one delivery trip per night to the shore. So we usually placed a collective telephone order. Uh, okay, uh, Debbie, we're going to get one six-pack of Budweiser, one six-pack of Miller Lite, one six-pack of Red Stripe, one bottle of Lord Calvert, uh, a two-liter Coke, um, yeah, a six-pack Diet Coke, uh, two packs of Marlboro Reds, a pack of Marlboro Lights, two packs of Camels. Uh, do you have any more rolling papers left? A half hour later, Debbie would show up with our whiskey and beer at triple the price she paid in tax-free New Hampshire. Hey, the booze and smokes are here. Yeah, right on. Oh, thanks, Debbie. Sure, the booze was expensive, but she delivered promptly. And she let us run up a tab. And she was a super sweet woman with a gruff but kind husband. They were just selling booze on an island that didn't have a liquor store to help pay the bills, so her surcharge was much more than fair. Other drugs came in other ways. My cachet of psilocybin mushrooms came stashed in a VCR tape box via the U.S. mail. Our smokables usually came from someone aboard a fishing boat from Vinyl Haven or Rockland, that would visit occasionally for an hour or two with weed and or hash. I'll take an ounce of weed and five grams of hash, please. Uh, coming right up. The ganja was often main grown and the hashish was sliced from a brick stamped in gold, allegedly from Lebanon, and weighed in front of you, almost like you were at the deli. Here you go. Anything else? We stern men didn't party every night. And most times, I'd be home by 8 p.m. at the latest because everyone had to haul the next morning. We'd play spades or pitch, rummy. sometimes rummy. Ah, how many points? We held ping pong tournaments. This is good weed. At Benny and Paul's shack. And occasionally, we'd make huge collective meals. Oh, yeah, man. With short lobsters or spaghetti or hot dogs and hamburgers on the grill. Yeah. Life was pretty simple. Working for Captain Donald made me stronger than I'd ever been in my whole life. And I was a very good stern man because the job was simple, especially after you set up a system and stuck with it. 
Best of all, the gig left me with enough time to focus on my art. Most evenings I smoked pot and labored on poorly written narrative poetry about the mess in Haiti. What rhymes with Port-au-Prince? What rhymes with boat people? And for a six-month stretch while working for Captain Donald, I fancied myself both a poet and a struggling painter. My painting experiments tended to consist of tiny pieces, fiery splotches of orange, pink, and purple on blue, captioned with words and letters cut from magazines and newspapers. I am burning for you. I am burning for you. I am burning for you. I briefly incorporated shaving cream, soap, shampoo, and toothpaste with less than remarkable results. For entertainment, I read a lot. Kurt Vonnegut and Philip Roth and Carolyn Shute and Charles Bukowski and listen to Maine Public Radio and WERU. Broadcasting from the Hen House atop Blue Hill, you're listening to WERU. And I smoked a lot of herb. <sighs> <coughs> looking out my window at the harbor and the breakwater, thinking about life and other stuff. The biggest drawback was Donald. Even on days we didn't go out to haul, he hung around the shop to avoid spending time at home. Uh, morning, Crash. He'd come down at the crack of dawn no need to get up, uh. and use the table saw to cut oak runners for new traps that we really didn't need. I just came down here to get away from Mary Margaret. She's on fire this morning. <laughs> He'd use the table saw or fire up the compressor to run the air tools. Both were located about five feet from my futon through a thin wall, and the racket made it impossible to sleep. So on days off, I'd take a couple of peanut butter sandwiches and a thermos of tea, some reefer, and my notebook, and I'd escape. I'd walk to Marquis Beach or South Sandy Beach, or I'd climb to the top of Mount Ararat, the island's lone hill, or I'd poke around the ice pond. Often, I'd disappear into the stands of spruce and pine near the airport, and I had discovered a giant boulder on the west side of the island. The sun warmed it by noontime, and it radiated heat into the night. It was an amazing spot for a nap. Just as often, though, I'd hang out in someone's fish house and get high. <coughs> it was the beginning of October, and we were attending a birthday bash in Lincolnville, a town just north of Rockland, for an old-time sea captain, a friend of Captain Donald's. I really don't want to stay too long, Mary Margaret said. We need to get back to the island before supper. And remember, no drinking. 
We were already in Rockland for our monthly trip, and Donald and Mary Margaret decided we'd make a surprise appearance at the party being held at a camp in the woods. Parking was a chaotic mess, though Captain Donald had been able to navigate his giant Chevy Silverado Careful. Careful. among the trees Careful. and parked cars. Will you please shut your mouth? <laughs> the plan was to be there for a minute or two, just enough time for us to pay our respects then return to the Coast Guard station in the dotted eye and head back to the island. Gregor, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Captain. Uh, happy birthday, Captain. Then Captain Gregor got a hold of Donald and wouldn't let him go. We're getting old, aren't we? We're getting old. They were old pals, and Captain Donald owed a lot to Captain Gregor for setting him up in the lucrative business of being a pilot tender. All the massive tankers and freighters that made port calls in Rockland and Searsport flew foreign flags, so they were required to bring a local captain aboard who was knowledgeable about the tides and currents and submerged obstacles of Penobscot Bay. And since Matinicus was the closest to the buoy marking the outermost reach of Penobscot Bay, the pilot company put Captain Donald on a permanent retainer decades before to serve as their offshore taxi driver and innkeeper. How about a scotch, Donald? I, I have a special bottle hidden out back. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds delicious. Captain Donald said, not looking at Mary Margaret. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> um, uh... To my good friend Donald, cheers. Cheers to you, Gregor, the best ocean-going pilot ever. <laughs> and once that booze hit his tongue, Captain Donald became a jovial man. To Captain Gregor, happy birthday. The first sip changed his entire demeanor. Hello, everybody. <laughs> he glowed. Nice to meet you. Transformed, he became a back-slapping joke teller almost. Wonderful party. Downey style. And the wind was blowing. Nasty. About 40 miles an hour and then some. Why don't you look nice tonight, dear? And then I say to him, if you say so, sir, but it'll cost you double. <laughs> he laughed, and so did the others. <laughs> he smiled, and his eyes sparkled. And from outwards appearances, he was jovial. So I said, a 20-pound lobster would be like eating a shoe. <laughs> but I knew the truth. The glint was merely the sunlight reflecting off the inside of his vacant skull. He was a racist, sexist, homophobic, polluting curmudgeon. Under the glow of alcohol, however, he seemed almost tolerable. He said something, but I didn't hear him. <laughs> With a drink in his hand and telling stories and spinning yarns, Donald became the life of the party. <laughs> But another guest needed to leave, and Captain Donald's giant Chevy Silverado was in the way. Crash, uh, 
Don't move the truck. <laughs> Just don't crash it. <laughs> Donald said with a slight slur in his voice. Mary Margaret was giving us both the evil eye. He tossed me the keys, even though he knew I was a terrible driver, and I ignored Mary Margaret's glare as I climbed into the truck and started it up. And the pickup was wedged in at a strange angle among several other vehicles. I put her in reverse, turned the wheel, and backed out, or, or tried to back out. Careful, careful, come on, uh, come on. I was riding the clutch and a little nervous about the standard transmission on this huge truck trying to maneuver in front of an audience was stressful. And the truck lunged and lurched backwards and out. Oh, But not before nicking the edge of a beat-up station wagon parked next to us. There was no damage to the other vehicle, but Captain Donald's quarter panel was dented and scratched. What the f Donald screamed. What the f Of course, this truck was his pride and joy. For flashy fishermen like Donald, island vehicles were beaters, but mainland trucks were status symbols. You stupid son of a bitch, Captain Donald said as he opened the door and pulled me down and out of the truck. Can't you do anything friggin' right? And this was a 1990 Chevy Silverado with an extended cab and extended bed with shiny chrome accents, and it was practically brand new. You stupid son of a bitch. It was official. We hated each other. One night the following week, over a soggy chicken dinner with faked mashed potatoes and canned gravy, Mary Margaret made the big announcement. This afternoon I heard from the truck dealership, she said. Silverado's fixed, and luckily insurance is paying for the damage. Uh, well, well that's good, I said. Are you going to have to pay the deductible? That's going to be $400. Uh, 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 what? I'm going to be deducting $400 from your pay for the repairs. It's only fair, since it was your fault. Do you want to split it over the next couple of paychecks? I could do that if you want. She looked at me expectantly, almost daring me to challenge her. And I didn't say a word. Nothing I could do. I was their slave, and they paid me what and when they wanted. And if I complained, I knew they'd snort and tell me to leave. Yeah, do that, I said, realizing I was powerless. Plus you owe me a hundred dollars for your sweater. Really? When she'd offered to knit me a sweater, I didn't know she was going to charge me for it. You can pay me for the wool after the truck repair is paid off. I didn't say a word. <laughs> Damn right. Next time on Tough Island, A Perfect Storm and a dramatic at-sea rescue by Vance Bunker, Hero. Tough Island is written, produced, and voiced by Crash Barry. That's me. Tough Island, Maine is based on the book Tough Island. Visit CrashBerry.com for other episodes of Tough Island, Maine. You can also listen via the WERU archives at WERU.org. Visit 
CrashBerry.com for more information about my books or my investigative podcast about the child-molesting Catholic priests of Springfield, Massachusetts, called Devils and Dirtbags. Also at CrashBerry.com are illustrations from this week's episode. And remember, be careful on Tough Island. <laughs>